the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You were sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cut deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about church, what we believe as Christians and why maybe something going on in your life. We'll do the best that we can to biblically provide answers and direction for almost anything and everything, because as you've heard me say many times, I really, with all of my heart, believe that the Bible covers every problem we're ever going to deal with in life, either specifically or by principle in general, and um, our job is to help you find that. Here's where you can call us, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way for you to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, Lately, a lot of people have been calling in questions directly to the studio, so we just want your questions and help as much as we can. There's nothing going on today since it's Tuesday, so we'll get right to the questions. My first one comes uh, from Nacho uh, from our email inbox. It says, there was an article in a Christian website today that talked about things that a church should get rid of. There were a number of things listed, but the one point that really stood out was when he said, change the format of the sermon. And I wanted your thoughts on this. The writer, his name is Lindsay, I don't have a a first name, uh, explained it. Here's what uh, the crux was. He says, I'm not just hoping for a 15-minute church service. The real issue is the format of the sermons. Think about it. When was the last time you experienced a long-lasting life change as a, result, as a result of someone talking at you? Probably a while ago, if at all, with attention spans barely long enough to read a tweet, how much of your current sermon is actually sinking in? I mean, even colleges are moving away from lecture-based teaching, so why not churches? You can still have your pastor up front on Sundays, but instead of just talking... He or she can lead experiences. Lectures could be replaced by an environment where people are free to talk and ask questions. You could even try sitting people at tables to better encourage discussions. These are the types of moments that create the biggest impact. You know, uh, Nacho, this is an example of someone who um, probably has very little knowledge of God at all, certainly has no knowledge of God's Word, Um, God's ordained way of reaching people is by preaching. It doesn't matter whether somebody has a long attention span or a short attention span. Um, The Holy Spirit is at work, and the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the Word, not through conversations and not through roundtable discussions, not through, well, your opinion is as valid as my opinion. That's why God gives people uh, in the church teachers as a gift now, I understand this culture that we live in. I, I, it is a tragedy that we are, uh, are pandering 
uh, to diminished attention spans. Um, I can imagine that anybody could seriously say, Nacho, that that we should emulate uh, college professors or university settings where ungodly men and women are being turned out continually. Um, this is just somebody who, whoever he is, who has no understanding at all of how God works. Now, I can answer one of those questions. When you said, or when he said, rather, Nacho, when, the la- when was the last time you experienced a long-lasting life change as a, result, as a result of someone talking at you, I can show you a church full of them. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's willing to let God touch their heart. But see, here's the thing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as the Word of God is being declared, our faith is growing. And it's growing supernaturally. This isn't a lecture. These are Bible teaching sessions. They're sermons, whatever you want to call them. I've always been uncomfortable when somebody calls my messages a sermon uh, because I, I don't plan them out in the sense that I'm going to make three points and tie it all together with a neat little story at the end. Uh, I just teach the Bible verse by verse. And the result is an enormous number of people who've been changed forever, not by anything that I've said, but because the Word of God is being declared. The supernatural power of God is always at work. And when we get to the place where we're going to emulate a a godless college experience, when we want to set tables up, we've missed the boat. You know, not sure you didn't ask about this, but there was a time, and thank God it's sort of past now, but there was a time when uh, the cool thing to do was to set up your youth ministry to look like a den, couches and chairs and recliners and and uh, pillows everywhere. And the idea was, well, no, you want it to be cool. You want people to feel comfortable like they're at home. Uh, that was one of the worst things ever because the youth groups got turned into lounging sessions. People need to be serious about the Word of God. It's our responsibility as Christians to come into church every time we're here with a heart prepared to be changed, willing to have our minds and our opinions changed, willing to let the Spirit of God speak to us, convict us of sin and of righteousness, but also instruct us how to have long-lasting change. And I think one of the focuses of my ministry personally, and I certainly don't do it better than other people do, but I just think this is one of the things that God's always put on my heart. I want people, when they leave a Bible study that I do, I want them to be able to know what the passage said, what the author meant when he said it, and then I want them to know how to use it today, not at some point in their life, long distance, but today. And for this man, Lindsay, whoever he is, Nacho, he's never been behind a pulpit teaching the Word of God with authority and with passion. And watch the Holy Spirit transform people before his very eyes. It's the only long-lasting change. One final thought on this, and this is something that I've commented on many times on this program. A pastor's job isn't to entertain A pastor's job isn't to make people feel good. A pastor's job is simply to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. And the only way we can do that is by teaching the Bible consistently, week after week, and letting the Spirit of God do His work. The minute we start thinking, well, this is the way the world does it. This is a better form of communication. This is a different style that we can do this. Then we've lost our way. The idea of a 15-minute church service, a 15-minute or 20-minute message, is absolutely ridiculous when we're dealing with the Word of God. I teach on Sundays for 40 minutes. 
I teach on Wednesdays and Friday nights for 45 to 50 minutes. I teach however long it takes to teach the passage. So my thoughts have been provided, Nacho. Thank you for sending the question. I'm really, really sorry that this is what people are having to put up with. Here is a question from Rachel. Pastor on how did Rahab get into the faith chapter since she lied? Does that mean that lying is sometimes okay? Um, you're talking about Hebrews chapter 11, of course, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And I find it wonderfully refreshing and encouraging, Rachel, that Rahab is there. So she got in there because of her faith. She lied because her faith was weak, new. I mean, she's a brand new believer. Brand new. And her life is threatened. She lied. But she's not in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11 for lying. She's in Hebrews 11 for believing. That's how anybody gets in there. I mean, Samson's in there. Jephthah is in there. People have done some really dumb things. Um, It is never, ever, ever, ever okay to lie. And I know we like to rationalize it. We like to justify our lives. Well, I didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings or, well, I took the easy way out. And I've had Christians over the years, Rachel, tell me, well, Ray lied, so it must be okay if we lie sometimes. It is never okay. Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies. What that means is when you're lying, you're speaking his language. You're doing his work. Now, we can be tactful. We don't have to say everything on our mind. But to willfully lie is a sin against God. Doesn't this qualify us from heaven? But to willfully lie is never, ever, ever okay. It just isn't. And we're kidding ourselves when we justify it. Somebody calls you on the phone and you tell them that you weren't there. They leave a message and you call back, oh, I wasn't there. You call in sick. Take a sick day. You may have a sick day coming, but you're not sick. That's not okay. So understand, Rachel, that it is never okay to lie, and Rahab doesn't somehow mitigate that fact. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Monica. I knew I was going to get this question. Uh, Does your church celebrate Ash Wednesday and Lent? And then should all Christians celebrate Ash Wednesday and Lent? We do not, Monica, so obviously my answer is uh, all Christians shouldn't do it. And frankly, I don't understand it. Uh, I understand it's a Catholic tradition. It's also alive and well in the Episcopal and Anglican traditions and in some Lutheran congregations. Uh, But the whole idea is Lent. You know, Paul and I were watching the news this morning. We always turn it on real early to find out what the the weather is going to be before we go out into this wickedly cold world. Um, And there was a, a story on Mardi Gras. Today is Fat Tuesday in New Orleans, and and it's the day where the um, month-long revelry that's called Mardi Gras um, culminates. It's like the, the, the climax, the big finish. And I, I just think, well, today's Fat Tuesday. Let's go out and do all these terrible things that we know we shouldn't do. And then tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. We'll go and get an ash on our forehead, and everybody will see that all that stuff that we were doing to sin doesn't really matter. Um, these are religious traditions that frankly have no value. Lent, leading up to Easter. Why in the world would we ever give up something and say we're honoring God when the minute Lent is over, we're going to go back to that thing? What's the point? What's the value? I always think of Isaiah chapter 1 when I see traditions like this. Now remember, so all of you give me a little bit of grace here. I, I wasn't raised in a church. I have had no religious baggage at all when I met Jesus Christ. So I didn't understand Lent. I didn't know old hymns. I didn't know that Christians were supposed to do this or were supposed to do that. I just fell in love with Jesus in an instant. And I wanted to be with him. And when I was with him, I was doing okay. 
even imagine telling God, I'm not going to do something. I'm going to stop drinking for Lent. And then you're watching the clock until Lent's over so you can start again. What's the point? I know we do things as humans and it makes us feel like we're sort of justifying ourselves before God. But it simply isn't the things that God's concerned with. Isaiah chapter 1, he said, your, your new moon feasts and your festivals, what are they to me? I, I, I hate them. My soul, he said, hates them. Why? Because they were doing religious things with ugly hearts. And instead of coming to God on his terms, they wanted to set up their own terms by which God would accept them. And when I see Ash Wednesday and Lent, that's all I can see. If you are an Ash Wednesday celebrator and you do it with the right heart, then I, I'm not judging you. I apologize. That's between you and the Lord. But I want you to know there's nothing about that ash in your forehead that has any significance at all. I want you to know that whatever it is you decide to give up for Lent, none of that matters to God. All he cares about the only thing he cares about is your heart. So, Monica, uh, religion means nothing to me. Religion means nothing to God. I want to be able to enjoy my relationship, and I don't want just a 30-day relationship for Lent because I'm not doing something that I know I'm not supposed to do. I want a 24-7 relationship with my Jesus. And the only way I can do that is to walk with him where he is on his terms. I had somebody say to me the other day that they were on their own journey. And one of the things that I responded was, we don't get to have a journey as Christians. You know, a journey suggests that we have the freedom to come to God our way on our terms. As Christians, we don't get that right. As Christians, when we surrender our heart to Jesus, what we have said the only thing that we've said, Monica, is that we're going to do your will, O oh God. Not my will, but thy will be done. And that means we come to him every day on our own terms. That's what real religion was supposed to accomplish. But because it never could, Jesus came and died so that we could have a relationship with God. 340-9585, we'd love your calls and questions. You're, you make the show a lot more interesting than I do. It's 340-9585, here's an anonymous question. Uh, how can we have free will if God created everything? It also means he created sin and evil. Uh, anonymous, God allowed sin and temptation um, to test our hearts. But he didn't cause us to make the choice. I have free will. I'm tempted every day. If I do something wrong, it's certainly not God's fault. It's my fault. He didn't cause me to do it. He didn't desire me to do it. I made the choice to do it. And that's how I chose at that moment, sadly, to use my free will. On the other hand, if I get up in the morning and say, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you, Jesus, well, then that too is an act of my will. God didn't cause that either. Now, obviously, the time I spend with the Lord makes me want to be with Him. But my free will is mine alone, and I get to make all the choices in my life. And God created everything. That means He created Satan, but He didn't create the devil. He created Lucifer. Perhaps, according to Ezekiel, the most beautiful of all God's creations in the heavenly realms. And when he was tested, he failed. He wanted to be God himself. I will cast my throne above the Most High. He wanted to be worshipped instead of, some would suggest, the King James Version of the, of the Ezekiel passage suggests that Satan was sort of the worship leader of heaven. He made his own choice. Now, for angels, it was a once-forever choice. Anonymous for you and for me, we get to make our own choice every day. In fact, every hour of every day. 
And that's why we've got to exercise our free will to serve the Lord. The fact that God knows we're going to sin, the fact that God allows temptation in this world uh, to, 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 to hassle with us, doesn't mitigate the fact that when we make the choice, it's our choice. And sometimes, Anonymous, and I don't know you and I don't know your, your motive, but sometimes when I get this question, it's almost like, well, people want to blame God for the bad choices they make. Because that way, well, if you didn't want me to do this, God, you shouldn't have let me or you should have stopped me. No, he gives us free will, free will to choose to do right or choose to do wrong. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Everybody does. It's in Genesis chapter 4. Cain's sacrifice was rejected by God. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Why? Because Abel's, we learn, was offered in faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that. Faith and obedience are sort of glove and hand type of thing. And and it makes it clear that Cain and Abel had been giving sacrifices the prescribed way for a long time. Well, Cain decided he wanted to do it his way. He wanted to bring God the work of his hands. What a picture that is of so many of our lives. God didn't accept it. You know how to, um, to be worshipped. You know how to be approached. There's only one way. And Cain, because his brother's sacrifice was accepted, was murderous. And God even gave him a chance not to commit the sin. Why are you so upset, Cain, God said. If you do what is right, will it not go well with you? And still... Cain did what was wrong. Why? Because he made the choice. And Anonymous, every single choice we make, we have to own. We can't play the victim card. We can't blame other people. We can't blame our environment. We certainly can't blame God. So what we have to do is we have to own our own sin. We made the choice. We did the wrong thing. And then we repent. So I hope that answers your question. 340-9585. Let's go to Harold on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Arms. How are you, man? I've been really well, Harold. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Um, in regard to the comments on Adam and Eve and, and things like that, and as a child, I did grow up in church, in the Baptist church, and it seemed like throughout history and throughout church services, it's always the woman that was at fault because she supposedly ate the fruit. We don't know what it is for sure. First, and but uh, I was in a probably out Landry's Bible study lately where we were discussing that. And if you follow the verses right, I don't. I don't have, I'm driving. I probably shouldn't be, but I'm driving. And uh, okay, I'm stopped. And. Uh, <laughs> Adam, I mean, Eve was not born yet when God told Adam, do not eat of this fruit. You can eat of, do whatever, but don't eat of the tree of good knowledge or whatever. I'm not sure which one. And so Eve wasn't even born yet. She wasn't separated or pulled from her side, but still she managed to get the rap for it. And from what I've seen, there's nothing written that says Adam told her, God said, if you want to elaborate on it, if not, that's fine. I just I haven't called in a while, and I just I was interested. I can do in that. Topic. I can All do right. that, Harold. Thank you very much. Uh, I think you're mistaken uh, in one one regard, Harold. Um, God told both Adam and Eve that they were free to eat from every tree in the garden. Um, you know, God made Adam on the sixth day. We know that. Sometime subsequent to that. Um, God uh, had all the animals come by, and there was no sin. Uh, there had been no tests at this point. Uh, all the animals came by Adam, and he gave them names. He noticed that every one of them had a, a, a counterpart, male and female. And, and by doing that, God created within Adam a desire to have somebody for him, too. It's sort of like you see all the animals. Well, everybody has someone but me. And... and because God knew it wasn't good for him to be alone, he put him into a deep sleep, and there was Eve. Now, they lived in the garden together for a very long time. We don't know how long before the temptation of the tree of the fruit of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And so God told him, don't do it. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand. Adam gets the blame for it, not Eve. Eve was deceived, and certainly she's responsible for her choice, but she was deceived by the enemy. In fact, Satan's word, did God really say? If you eat this, God knows you'll be like him, knowing both good and evil. So Eve was deceived. She was persuaded by the serpent. Adam's sin, and the reason it's Adam is our federal head. Adam is the one whose sin nature passes to us. The reason he was charged with the sin is because he willfully sinned. In effect, he chose Eve over God. So Eve was deceived. She ate. Adam made the choice. And that makes his sin far more serious. That's why our sin nature comes from man. That's why it was important Jesus was born of a virgin. Thank you, Harold. Good to hear from you. We miss you. Haven't heard for a while. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday edition of the program, 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final 30 minutes of today's program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-5757 harold this is uh, i hope a little clarification this is genesis chapter 3 Verse 2, from the question you ask, it says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So I read that because I wanted you to know that she had complete knowledge to stay away from that tree. Now, she embellished the word of God. God didn't say, uh, don't touch it. He just said, you may not eat that fruit. You know, one of the things that we have to remember is they knew only good. They, they had no opportunity to serve anybody but God. They knew only good. Well, God gave them one tree that they couldn't touch, they couldn't eat from. And yet they made the wrong choice. But she knew, clearly she knew. Uh, it's equally clear that the tree was already created but before Adam and Eve ever got to that tree, uh, they had very clear instructions not to do it. That's one other thing that I want to clarify. Uh, I, got, I just got an email from somebody. Um, the, the question that I've got on this person, Lindsay, who talked about um, having a more conversational format in church rather than a lecture style. Uh, the name was Lindsay. That is a woman. I said it was a man. Uh, I thought Lindsay was the last name. It is a woman. Um, so I wanted to be sure that I, I clarified that as well. Okay, let's go to another question. Bruce says, in the Old Testament, there are multiple references to the school of the prophets. What does that mean? Well, Bruce, the, the, the closest um, illustration I could make of that is sort of like uh, our modern-day Bible colleges or seminaries. These were uh, Jews who would sit under... Uh, a, a, a known prophet of God. It wasn't a school where they teach them to be prophets. It was a school that those who wanted to pursue uh, the teaching of the scriptures, they wanted to, to, to learn from the wisdom of the man of God, Elijah. Uh, Elisha uh, is noted. Um, but but throughout the Old Testament, you're right, there's references to the school of the prophets. Second Kings chapter 6 is one of those passages uh, where Elisha was there to help them build, to help them expand. Uh, so it was just a, a, a place to learn. It was a, a school to learn from the prophet. It was a school to learn the word. It does not mean that they were teaching prophets. And this is the, the, the problem that we've had in our New Testament culture. There are some churches with really, really, really bad doctrine. And they'll, they, they say they have class to teach you to do miracles or to teach you to cast out demons or to teach you to be a prophet. 
and that's nonsense, and they base it off this, but that is, uh, there's no basis biblically for that at all. Uh, these are just young men who wanted to serve God, wanted to learn more about God, and God's prophets, who were the walking word of God at the time, God's prophets were the ones that um, were used to train them. So I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from Adam. He said, why did God kill Uzzah for touching the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, Adam, when we read that, especially as a a fairly new Christian, that just seems so harsh. You know, they were all doing what they thought was the right thing. Their hearts were right in the sense that they wanted to bring uh, the Ark of the Covenant home to Jerusalem. Uh, David actually got angry at God when Uzzah was killed. But it's a very, very, very important lesson for us. You see, the Levites had specific instructions about how to transport the ark. God warned them that this is holy. In other words, this is a sacred uh, duty, and it can only be done one way. The only way you can approach the ark of the covenant, which was really the presence of God. Uh, we have Jesus in us, the hope of glory, but the ark of the covenant was was symbolic of the presence of God in, in, in the Old Testament. And um, they needed to walk in holy fear of God. It couldn't be touched by mortals. It could only be touched by those that, that only the high priest and only once a year could go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. But when they were transporting it around, God gave very specific instructions about how it was to be transported, how it was to be carried, because God wanted to go in. You remember that the Ark of the Covenant was with the people when they would engage in war. Uh, when they went into the, the, the promised land in Canaan. Uh, it was the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant who first set their foot on the Jordan River at flood stage, and then it separated so that the whole nation of people could cross over. Uh, God was always with them. He would go into war with them in the in, in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. So God said, I'm God. You need to have a fear of God, and you have to do things my way. And when they, sort of out of excitement, began to transport the ark back and the oxen stumbled, and you know what happened, the the ark started to fall and Uzzah kind of held it to try to keep it from falling. Again, his heart was right. But God had to demonstrate that we have to do things his way. No one can approach God. He lives in unapproachable light, we're told. I love to, to just think about that. And Uzzah presumed. David presumed. And so when David got angry at God, God basically took him to the woodshed and said, all you do is read your Bible. All you have to do is know how these, this ark was to be transported, and nothing bad would have happened. Now, one other comment on this, Adam, because the real value for you and for me is the only way we can see God is through Jesus. You know, the person that says, well, you know, I believe we're all on the same journey and we're going the same direction. We just have different roads to travel. That's the man or the woman who's never going to see God except in holy terror being judged. And God was establishing way back with the Ark of the Covenant a picture of how we have to fear God, not be afraid of Him, but it's a filial fear, a loving fear and awe. And I think we've lost that in our church culture, Adam. We think we can come to God on our terms. We can go to church if we feel like it. We can read the Bible if we have time. Uh, We don't have to belong to a church. We don't have to to, to put money in the offering box. You know, we, we sort of lost that, not sort of, we have lost that fear of God. And we're even more guilty, given what we know about Jesus, than Uzzah was. So did he do wrong? Yes. Was he punished severely? Yes. But could, but God had a point to make. God's always been clear. There's one way to approach me. Just one way. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, God doesn't care that that offends some of us. God could care less about whether or not we like it If we want to see God, we have to see Jesus. 
That's the only way. So um, thank you for the question. We'll be doing that uh, study very soon in, in our Wednesday night Old Testament studies, Adam. Here is a question from Ruth. She says, if God is just, he should not condemn us eternally for sins committed temporally. And by that, she means sins that we commit in this world. And then she wants to know, what are my thoughts? Well, Ruth, any question that starts with, if God is just, indicates that you don't know who he is. If the if, the preposition was left off and it was just, God is just, that would be a fair statement. But you say, if God is just, it means that, that there's something about what he's doing that you disagree with. You don't, get, you don't have the right to disagree. You see, this life is our test. This life is our test. And so when we commit sins here, we have to pay for them eternally. But here's my most important thought. We're not any of us condemned for sin. We have a tendency to think, well, uh, I live this kind of a lifestyle or I, I, I do this thing over and over and over, so God shouldn't judge me. He only judges us for rejecting Jesus. That's the only sin for which men and women will be eternally condemned. The sin of rejecting Jesus. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's job is to convince the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, to testify about Jesus. If we reject that testimony, then we're going to go um, into eternity and be tormented forever and ever and ever with no hope of escape. Now, God sets down the rules very, very plainly. What we have to do is decide whether or not we're going to come to God on his terms or not. And so if we reject Jesus, we're guilty because of sin. But Jesus is the answer, in fact, the only answer for sin. So, Ruth, we don't have to go to hell. We literally have to go over his dead body, his dead and resurrected body, I like to say. So you need to understand that God is just. There's no if there. And what he should do or shouldn't do or why he does something is of no concern to us. Our concern is to come to Jesus. And if Jesus washes away all sins, think about this for one minute, Ruth. If you're one of the most guilty people on this earth and, and you're, you're probably far less guilty than I am, but no matter how guilty you are, Jesus offers to wipe away your guilt. To do that, you have to ask him to come into your heart. You've got to be born again. And you see, the great thing that happens about being born again is that you no longer want to sin. When you do, you hate it. And you say, God, please help me. And he always does. So, God is just, Ruth. Please, please never forget it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Scott calling from Shirt. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, good. To, good. To, your show is really good today. Um, I Thank just you. want to make a comment on the uh, um, what you were discussing earlier, and I, I heard this a while back, and I kind of did a little research on it on uh, on the Adam and Eve um, situation there. Anyway, um, I, I'm reading from a New King James version, but it says. Uh, I guess this is the last part of uh, verse 6 in chapter 3. She also gave to her husband with her. And uh, I heard some discussion from some different scholars, Hebrew scholars and stuff on that, um, which they didn't realize that, but they were going back to the root language, and they said that from what the language was, that Adam was actually with her when she ate of the fruit. And just I'm thinking in my own mind, coming from my own situation, I think of my nature and how I would kind of stand there and say, well, let me kind of see what's going to go on here, and then maybe I'll get involved or something like that, kind of like Sam, not necessarily encouraging her, but, um, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm just putting my own nature in that. Mm -hmm. um, but I just thought I'd, I'd hear your comment on that. And yeah, uh, also on, uh, if I can real quickly, on the ark, um, what you were talking about there, um, I, I thought uh, uh, um, I heard someone discuss one time how David 
you know, picked out the best wood to make the car. He picked out the, the an ox that never, you know, all these different things. He was doing everything to honor God and to honor God and to honor God. And then, of course, the the devastation. He was devastated when Usha, you know, reached up and then was killed. But how that applies in our lives, how we try to do all these things to honor God when we're doing our own thing and not doing what God is asking us to do. <laughs> Even though we may be doing good things, if it's not what he's asking us to do, he's not going to bless it. So anyway, I'll, I'll hang up and listen to your comments. Thank, thank you, Scott. Let me deal with the, that second part first. You know, we, uh, we, we mean well most of the time. Uh, we who are Christians, we mean well. We want to please the Lord. But we're never honoring God by giving him the best we can do. We're only honoring God when we do what he's told us to do the way he's told us to do it. Now, that offends even Christians when I make that point, and I make it often here at Calvary Chapel, Scott. So it's just one of those things that we've got to understand. God doesn't need my interpretation. God doesn't need uh, me to improvise. Uh, God hasn't asked me to, to reinvent the wheel. And even if my motives are right, um, it doesn't give me any freedom, any right at all to step outside of obedience. And, um, you know, I could take this all the way back to the question about Ash Wednesday and Lent. You know, God doesn't ask these things of us. Isaiah chapter 1, my soul hates these things, these religious things that you're doing. God doesn't ask us to make him a bunch of promises. God just asks us to be obedient. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And it's not okay to do the right thing the wrong way. And we Christians, we like our freedom. We like our individuality. Well, this is the way I do it, or this is the way I think it's right. We don't have the right to make those decisions. So uh, the only time we're really honoring God, the only time we're worshiping him, you know, I've had people say to me, Scott, uh, they did something wrong. It didn't turn out well, even though their heart was right. Well, well, God knows my heart. Well, that doesn't matter. Your disobedience demonstrates where your heart is with God. And what we've got to do is understand, see, we can never repent if we think, well, at least my heart was right. The way we repent is say, Jesus, you told me to do this, and I did something else. I'm sorry. And um, your nature and my nature and David's nature was all the same. Now, when you talked about your nature empathizing with Adam in the garden, um, remember, he had no sin nature. He had no sin nature. That's why Satan was permitted to tempt Eve. So he had no sin nature. We, we can't understand what it was like. Adam had the best of everything. He walked with God. He and Eve did in the cool of the garden. Again, we don't know for how long. It could have been for eons. Who knows? But at some point, God put that tree of choice, and that was the source of the temptation. He allowed Satan, who had fallen sometime previous to that, to be the instrument of temptation. And you're right, the language is clear that Adam was with her. Now, Scott, here's the way my mind sees this. And I feel very strongly about this. I think this was an opportunity for Adam to demonstrate godly leadership, for Adam to protect his wife. Why were they around that tree? God gave them every tree in the garden. Why were they around that tree? Well, because Satan clearly had been tempting Eve already. And one day she said to Adam something along the lines of, let's go over, just look at that tree a little bit. Now, I'm sure the tree was beautiful, magnificent. I'm sure that was the best looking piece of fruit they had ever seen. I'm sure that they walked around that tree for quite some time before actually getting close enough to touch it. Now, here's what I do, Scott. I smell everything before I eat it. I'm just weird that way. I'm reasonably sure that she walked over and smelled it. She might even have said, Adam, smell this. This is the best smell I've ever had. And it was at that point when Adam should have said, Eve, you know what God said. 
and they should have run the other way, like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. They should have run the other way. But instead, she fell. She was deceived. Just like you get deceived and I get deceived, she was deceived. Adam made the willful choice to remain in fellowship with Eve rather than with God. The lesson for all of us is stay away from that which tempts us. Don't get close. Don't think that we can handle it. Don't think we're going to be okay. Stay away from that which tempts us. And the way we do that, Jesus said in his model for prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. What Jesus is saying is, look, if you want to worship me, just follow me and you'll be going in the opposite direction of sin and temptation. So that's what was going on there. Scott, thank you very, very much. Uh, We've got uh, Harold again from San Antonio on line one. Harold, was I not clear about something? No, no, you were just fine. No, everything's fine. Um, hope you don't mind that I called back. Uh, no, I was going to make nope. a comment about Usa, if I'm saying that right, you know, with the Ark of the Covenant. And, um, you know, it had the poles and all these things. And I'm also, you know, it, we all grew up with different ideas and we learned different things. But, uh, you know, not to be, I'm not being critical or anything. I'm just being a, what, a listener. So, I've heard that the Ark of the Covenant, when the man touched it, Usa touched it, he's a man and he has sin. He's sin because he's, you know, human. And that if the Ark would have hit the ground, it would have been okay. But the fact that someone touched it, that was, I'm not saying he was a huge, mean, bad person. I'm just saying, like, we all have sin. And I've heard that before. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but... It hit the ground, it would have been okay. God would have took care of it because the ground isn't sin. We are. But anyway, you know, I enjoyed hearing the show today, and it was a good show good. today. Thank and you, Harold. I'll talk Appreciate to you later. Uh-huh. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Uh, and and, and uh, I have a follow up question from Ray, too, about the same, uh, same issue. Um, Harold, um, um, Uza, I'm sure, um, meant well. Uzzah, I'm sure, reacted instinctively. Um, I don't think he was a mean guy. Sure, he was a sinner, just like David was a sinner. They all were. They had the law by that time, and the law proved that they were sinners. But it doesn't matter. No one can look at God because God is holy. No one can approach God because he lives in unapproachable light. And that ark was the symbol of his presence in the Old Testament. And so Uzzah had to die. Now, had he let it fall to the ground, then there would have been some other punishment. It wouldn't have been on Uzzah, most likely on David or the Levites at the time, because they knew how to transport, and they were transporting it the wrong way. You know, we're studying um, David. We've been in First Samuel and just starting out uh, in Second Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 5 tomorrow night. But one of the things that is characteristic of David's walk, when he's doing right by God, when he's with the Lord, he consults God on things. And this is something David did emotionally. So to some degree, Uzzah's blood was on his head. And of course, God forgave. So... Yeah, probably would have been okay for Uzzah had the ark fallen to the ground. But it wouldn't have been okay. It wouldn't have been okay. Now remember, for about 70 years, the ark was missing. It had been all kinds of places. So it's not the box. It's the God of the box. And David would have had a Another session with God where he would have been reprimanded. Ray's question uh, on the same thing. He said that person who touched the Ark of the Covenant and was killed is this person in heaven. Uh, we, we have no way of knowing, Ray. It is my opinion. The answer to that question is yes. Uh, this was a man who was serving God faithfully. He believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, um, the God of Moses, the God of David. Um, so, you know, again, we're not disqualified for a sin. But the sin was so 
egregious that they had to pay. I think of Cor and his family being swallowed up by the by the earth. I think about um, Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire. Who, by the way, they're not going to be in heaven, but but um, there had the sin was so grievous. There had to be a punishment. There had to be judgment. I think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. The first time the enemy was able to use Christians to try to destroy the work that God was doing. So we'll find out who's in heaven when we get there. But it is my opinion. My opinion doesn't really mean anything. But it's my opinion that Uzzah will probably be in heaven. Um, I wonder if we go to him and say, what were you thinking? He goes, oh, I haven't heard that one before. Uh, because this is just one of those things that uh, we don't know. Jephthah is another one who made a really, really bad choice, and there was a severe judgment to pay. So I think Uzzah will be there, but that's just my opinion, and as I said, my opinion doesn't really matter a whole bunch. Well, we don't have time for any more calls or questions, so uh, let me thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate the phone calls and the, the, the conversation. I love that so many of you are, are really thinking deeply about these kind of issues. Let me close with just this one comment. I'm still bugged by the lady who uh, wanted to change church format. People like that really need to get to know Jesus. They need to appreciate the power of God's Word. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's what we need to remember and never forget. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock, Lord willing, at AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.